0: It's May 13th, 1862. An ammunition transport ship clears two Confederate checkpoints using their signals, including one at Fort Sumner. As it approaches a Union blockade, it raises a white flag to surrender. The only occupants of the boat are 17 enslaved Black people, including their captain, Robert Smalls. Robert was born enslaved on April 5th, 1839, in Beaufort, South Carolina. His mother, Lydia, was enslaved and worked in the home of the McKee family. His father's identity is unknown, but many believe it was the McKee's son, and Robert was favored in the home over the other enslaved people. He was favored so much that Lydia worried he might reach adulthood without fully grasping the horrors of the institution he was born into. So she asked that he be sent to work in the fields and to witness whipping. This worked a little too well, and Robert became defiant. So, when he was 12, Lydia asked if he could be sent to Charleston to be hired out. He worked a number of jobs over the next several years, including being a lamplighter, a stevedore, a sailmaker, a rigger, and, ultimately, a sailor. He was allowed to keep one dollar of his wages each week, with the rest going to his enslaver. Sometime in all this, he met and married Hannah, an enslaved woman who worked at a Charleston hotel, and they had two children. Though they had been allowed by their enslavers to get an apartment together, they knew their family could be torn apart at any time. So Robert asked if he could buy Hannah and his children's freedom. He had managed to save a $100. Hannah's enslaver agreed, but told him it would cost $800. Robert started making other plans and told Hannah to be ready when the opportunity arose. The CSS planter had been built specifically for the cotton trade but during the war it was used as ammunition's transport. It docked in Charleston at nightfall on May 12th, due to go out again the next morning. Which it did, but not exactly as planned by the white captain and crew. They decided to stay on shore for the night, leaving their eight enslaved crew members behind. The captain could have been court-martialed for this action, so he must have had a lot of trust in them. Robert was 22 by now, and was teased regularly about his resemblance to the ship's captain. It was partly that he was mulatto, or mixed race, and he had light skin, and partly because they had similar builds. He donned the captain's straw hat to both hide his face and increase the resemblance, and they set sail at 2am in sight of headquarters for the general who was over the planter. Two enslaved crew members chose to stay behind. This was a dangerous undertaking, and it was clear that the remaining crew had no intention of being taken alive. If stopped by Confederates, they planned to either fight or sink their ship. A Confederate guard stationed about 50 yards away from the planter saw it leaving and even moved closer to watch, but he assumed the ship's officers were in command and never bothered to raise an alarm. A police detective who saw it leaving made the same assumption. Robert briefly paused to pick up Hannah and his children, plus a few additional passengers, bringing the total to 17 people on board. They first passed Fort Johnson, then Fort Sumner, where Smalls gave the signal he had learned as a crew member. Two long blows of the whistle, and a short one. He also folded his arms in the same way the captain was known to, strengthening their resemblance in the shadows. The alarm was finally sounded as they passed out of Rebel gun range, approaching the Union blockade, but it was too late. Smalls ordered his crew to take down the South Carolina and Confederate flags and replace them with a white bedsheet Hannah had brought aboard, and they continued to approach the USS onward. Acting volunteer Lieutenant Nichols initially didn't see it in the dark and fog, and ordered his sailors to open the ports. Moments before firing, like a scene in a movie, the fog lifted and the sun began to rise, making the white flag of surrender visible. An eyewitness account described this moment. Just as number three port gun was being elevated, someone cried out, I see something that looks like a white flag. And true enough, there was something flying on the steamer that looked like it would have been white by application of soap and water. As she neared us, we looked in vain for the face of a white man. When they discovered that we would not fire on them, there was a rush of contrabands out on her deck, some dancing, some singing, whistling, jumping, and others stood looking towards Fort Sumner and muttering all sorts of maledictions against it and the heart of the South, generally. As the steamer came near and under the stern of the onward, one of the colored men stepped forward and, taking off his hat, shouted, Good morning, sir. I've brought you some of the old United States guns, sir. Obviously, the man who came forward was Robert Smalls, and just as a point of reference, contrabands is how they referred to escaped slaves. Lieutenant Nichols forwarded the ship to Flag Officer DuPont. Yes, that DuPont family in Hilton Head, with a letter describing Smalls as very intelligent contraband. DuPont sent the captured flags to Washington via the Adams Express, which, just a bit of trivia, is the same private carrier that delivered Henry Box Brown to Pennsylvania in a wooden crate he used to mail himself to abolitionists in 1849. The Confederates put a $4,000 bounty on Smalls, but he was a hero in the North. In 1862, Congress passed a private bill authorizing the Navy to appraise the planter and award Smalls and his crew half the proceeds for rescuing her from the enemies of the government. A later naval affairs report confirmed that he should have received substantially more, but Smalls received enough money to purchase the house where he had once been enslaved in Beaufort, South Carolina, after the war. At that point, it had been seized by Union tax authorities. Smalls didn't stop at the staring escape, though. He personally lobbied the Secretary of War to begin enlisting black soldiers, and is said to have recruited 5,000 soldiers himself. He tried to end segregation in the military, too, but was unsuccessful. In 1862, he returned to the planter as part of Admiral DuPont's South Atlantic Blockading Squadron. He engaged in about 17 military actions, including an assault on Fort Sumner. Two months after this assault, he assumed command of the planter at Folly Island Creek, South Carolina, when the white captain became so demoralized that he went to hide in the coal bunker. Smalls was promoted to captain. In 1864, he took the planter to the shipyard for repairs, then boarded a streetcar to cross town. It turned out to be an all-white streetcar, and he was removed, but he used this incident and his celebrity status to lead one of the first mass boycotts of public transportation. In 1867, a city law finally permitted integrated streetcars. He went on to have a long political career, first in the South Carolina State Assembly, then in the State Senate, then five non-consecutive terms in the United States House of Representatives. It was two consecutive terms, then a skipped term, then three consecutive terms. There are so many more stories to tell about Robert Smalls, especially during his political career, But in order to keep this short, I'll just tell you he lost his office when South Carolina gerrymandered the fuck out of itself as it moved toward Jim Crow. Smalls remained an empathetic person and allowed the wife of his former enslaver to move into her former home, which he owned, as her health began to fail. The Smalls family lived in the house for 90 years after Robert purchased it. In Beaufort, he opened a store, a school for black children, and published a newspaper. He died of natural causes on February 22, 1915, in the same house he was born behind, as Jim Crow laws were being created. But he got to live in what W.E.B. Du Bois called a brief moment in the sun. Smalls spent his life fighting for racial equality, summing it up with, My race needs no special defense, for the past history of them in this country proves them to be equal of any people anywhere. All they need is an equal chance in the battle of life. And so we continue his fight today to give everyone an equal chance. I hope you found this episode of History Blurbs interesting. I'll be back next Friday with another short story about a historical figure and or event. Thanks for listening. See you next week.